Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series through the penitential psalms. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. We're looking at Psalm 102. Uh, The psalm does, in fact, have an introduction uh, titled, A Prayer of One Afflicted, When He Is Faint and Pours Out His Complaint Before the Lord. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day of my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute. And does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come. So that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth. To hear the groans of the prisoners. To set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away You are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, you know we are poor and needy and in need of being fed. Help me to rightly handle the word of truth and grant us ears to hear. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Amidst his suffering, Job said these well-known words. Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. And I thought in reading that, that's, that's probably not one of those inspirational quotes that you're going to find on a Pinterest board. It's probably not one of those inspirational quotes that you see the athletic posters made. Oh, man who is born of woman is full of days and full of trouble. Few of days, full of trouble. No, probably not going to find that. But if you live long enough, you know it's true. Even our Lord Jesus lived a life few of days. Think about it. He who lived a sinless life did so as a man of sorrows and died alone on a cross of suffering. So, think with me. If righteous Job and sinless Jesus lived days full of trouble, may you and I expect any less? But we do, don't we? We do expect days without trouble. For me personally, I'm always surprised when trouble comes. It comes like an uninvited guest at my door. And I want to open the door, tell him to leave. I didn't invite you here. And slam the door and hope that he never comes back again. But trouble does inexplicably. But this doesn't mean that trouble is outside the sovereignty of the will of God. As if trouble, some might think, as if trouble somehow hides from God's omnipresence, slips past His omniscience, pushes through His omnipotence. No, the troubles of life like everything else in existence, are well within God's reign and His sovereign purpose. Our confession puts it this way. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least, by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And as much as we would like to divorce God from the troubles of this life, Scripture reveals that He is not only sovereign over them, but purposefully using them for our good and His glory. C.S. Lewis put it this way, writing, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But He screams in our pain. Pain is His megaphone to awaken a deaf world. For the Christian who is neither deaf nor asleep, indeed alive in Christ, alive to the things of God, the question for us in Christ is, how shall we respond to the troubles of life? How shall we respond to life's troubles? Shall we follow the counsel of Job's wife? 
who told Job, curse God and die. (laughs) Not good advice. Or shall we follow the advice and example of Job, who when he had encountered the trials and the tribulations of life, including the loss of all of his children, he could say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Psalm 102. Psalm 102 teaches us to respond like Job. Teaches us to plead for mercy. To pray for provision. Praising for promises. And so I want to begin with this first theme in this psalm today. And that is pleading for mercy. That seems to dictate the whole first part of the psalm, doesn't it? To say that God sovereignly upholds, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least does not render us mute robots. Some ask, well, if God's sovereign, why pray? But the Psalms teach us to think differently. Not like a critic, but like a child. We pray because God is sovereign. And we plead for mercy because He is our Heavenly Father. If this Psalm teaches us anything, it teaches us how to cry out to God in our suffering. Hear my prayer, he begins. Let my cry come to you. And then he desperately appeals to the Lord as if the Lord is not engaged. He says, don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. He pleads for speed. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. It is the prayer, as the psalm is introduced, of one afflicted. When he is faint and pours out his complaint. He's crying, isn't he? Hear me. Don't ignore me. Act now. And we all know how he feels. Because we have all prayed some form of that prayer before. Oh God, hear me. Oh God, please don't ignore me. Oh God, I need you to act right now. But amidst his pleas, What I want you not to miss is the language of privilege. He prays to a heavenly father who does not turn his face. He prays to a heavenly father who does not turn his ear away. It's a prayer of intimacy, isn't it? It's a prayer of relationship. It's a prayer of trust. He's crying out to the God he knows and loves. And a God who knows him and loves him. You don't pray this way to an unknown God. You don't pray this to the man upstairs. You pray like this to the Lord who blesses us and keeps us. Who makes his face to shine upon us and is gracious to us. The Lord who lift up his countenance upon us and gives us peace. That's the God to whom we pray. That's the God to whom He prays. And it is in this relationship with the Lord of intimacy and trust 
that he begins to tell his heavenly father how he feels. He feels lost. He feels lonely. He feels like he's been left alone. His mind is drifting. He doesn't even know what day it is. His anxiety is escalating. The Hebrew expression of burning bones is one of anxiety. My bones are on fire! As if to say, his heart is so heavy that he stopped eating. And when he does eat, well, it's a meal of ashes moistened with tears. He's wasting away. His strength is wasting away. And he feels as if no one cares about him. His friends have abandoned him, leaving him as lonely, as lonely as an owl in the desert, as lonely as a sparrow on a housetop. And like Job, like Job, he needs a friend to affirm him, but instead he's surrounded by enemies who curse him. Given his agony, he thanks God is angry with him, treating him like a lump of clay to be thrown down and splatted against the ground. That's how he feels, like a lump of clay. And it would make me, and it would make you, I would imagine, want to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which David did in the 22nd Psalm. But most importantly, so did our Lord upon the cross. As our Lord bore the weight of God's wrath upon Him, He chose the first verse of Psalm 22 to cry out. And so it is that you and I, we look not to ourselves, we look not to one another, interestingly enough, but we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to the cross of Christ when we feel forsaken. Knowing that in Christ, that the Lord says to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you're taking notes, that's Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. I'm never going to leave you, God says. I'm never going to forsake you. You may cry out and feel like I have forsaken you. Your circumstances may feel as if there is no hope. There is no one around to help you. But God says, you're wrong. I know that's how you feel. But you're wrong. I have not forsaken you. I have not left you. In Christ, we are never abandoned. We are adopted by our Father. We are made heirs with our brother. We are given the gift and guarantee of the Holy Spirit and we are promised eternal life. We look not to our circumstances, but we look to the Lord Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this, and this is key to understanding this, friends. The writer of Hebrews says that the Lord made our Lord Jesus like us in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. It is through Christ and it is by his Holy Spirit that we're privileged to pray in the first place. 
To the skeptic who says, if God's sovereign, why pray? We say, we pray because He's God. We pray because He's sovereign. We pray because He's our Father. We pray because we are His child. And He loves us. He cares for us. And so we pray. And we pray for provision. Why trouble finds you and why trouble finds me is a mystery. If you can see it coming, I want to hear more about it. But I think you might be lying. You don't see it coming. I don't see it coming. It's a mystery when trouble finds us. That it finds us is a certainty, isn't it? So we must trust in God's sovereignty. But that is not our fallen inclination. That's not where we go naturally when we encounter trouble. We would rather look, Calvin says, to the factory of idols. We'd rather look to ourselves. And we'd rather look to the idols of our own creation than look to God. When the day of trouble comes, how do you respond? Where do you look? What becomes your strength? In whom do you you trust? The answer to those questions is key. As our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, looking to anyone or anything other than God is idolatry. G.K. Bill in his book, We Become What We Worship, says, What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. i got to read that again. Scholar G.K. Bill says, What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. You see, the, the psalmist desires not to be ruined, right? But to be restored. And he rightly knows what to revere. Not a dumb idol, not a false god, but the Lord our God. And that's why he transitions within this psalm from pleading to God for mercy, he transitions and says, but God, He's on His throne. He's not only on His throne, He's enthroned forever. That is a key to understanding how to deal with the troubles of life. Let this psalm lead you to a point of self-examination. I ask you this morning, I ask myself, what will I do when trouble comes? It will come. What will I do? Will I, will I try to entertain myself out of anguish? <laughs> binge, my, binge watch my way to happiness? <laughs> One of my favorites, will I eat my way to euphoria? Will I drink my way to delight? Or will I submit to the Lord's will? Will I go to His Word? Trust in Him alone and be transformed by the renewal of my mind. Yeah, I'm going I'm to go with that. I'm going to go with that. God is most glorified in you and me when we are most dependent upon Him. And God is glorified in our prayers. Think with me just a second. 
To pray to God is to acknowledge who He is and that He is capable of answering our prayers. Just the very act of prayer speaks volumes about what we believe about God. Which is why when we go through a dry period of life, when we're not praying, that also speaks volumes about what we believe about God. Of course, our, our prayers, to be clear, do not enthrone God. He's, he's already enthroned. Nor do our prayers validate Him. The psalmist says that He is remembered throughout generations, and that's true whether we pray or not. But our life is a vapor. And the psalmist compares it to God. He says our, our, our life is, is it's like smoke or or. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it's, it's like a vapor, mist, it disappears. But guess what? God does not. God is eternal. He is forever. And therefore, we must guard against dictating who God is and what He does based on our circumstances. In the midst of our circumstances, it is very easy for our flesh to deceive us. And make us think about things about God which are not true. Because our circumstances are punching us. Saying all of these things. And, and it begins to affect us, especially emotionally. God is no less omnipotent when I suffer. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we see in the psalm and in the specific transition from his plea for mercy to his prayer for provision, he looks beyond his troubles, doesn't he? It's an abrupt change in the middle of this psalm. It's as if, well, I'm done pleading, which he's not, by the way, but it's as if he is. He changes, and the reason he changes is he is teaching us how to pray. From a plea for mercy to a prayer for provision. He's looking for a time of favor. Signifying God's covenantal favor upon His people. And in Zion, God blessed His people who would serve and worship Him. They value even, they value even the stones and the, the dust of a deteriorating temple. Because it was the chosen dwelling place. Of the Lord. And what the saints of old. Looked toward in longing. We look back in faith. To the fulfillment of Christ's atoning work upon the cross. In Christ the prophesied time of favor has come. As the Lord is building his temple. From stones like you and like me, formed from dust. He's quarrying those stones from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation. And He's building for Himself a house of worship forever. The psalmist in his day of trouble looked toward the Lord's provision in Christ. And so we too look back to Christ. And so your prayers and my prayers... In the day of trouble and every day, they ascend to our Father in heaven through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit, prayers for ourselves. But we are not alone. We also pray for others. In an individualistic era, it is easy to pray for ourselves. 
But what about our suffering brothers and sisters? What about those in the church who are in the day of trouble? The psalmist says that the Lord does not despise, but regards the prayer of the destitute. And so let us pray for one another. The writer of Hebrews draws this point and then teaches us where to go with it, saying, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Apostle Paul says that we are to bear one another's burdens, and that is no more the case than we are, when we are faithful to pray for our fellow suffering saints. And so let us be faithful to turn to the Lord in our suffering, in our day of trouble, but also to remember our brothers and sisters. I want to conclude with the final theme, and that is that we see within the psalm promises that God has made. And we praise God for His promises. Yet even when we know that God calls us to, as Peter said, to cast all of our cares, or I think the ESV translates it, all of our anxieties upon the Lord because He loves and cares for us. Amidst the trials, amidst the tribulations of life, there is a temptation to justify complaining, grumbling. Hmm. The temptation is, is to replace our prayers with complaining to our neighbor. Just as prayer is offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies, when we complain, when we complain, we elevate our desires. We disregard God's will. We ignore our sin and we reveal our ingratitude. And some of us are professionals. There's sometimes where I'm thankful that my wife says, Will you stop complaining? We shouldn't really raise her voice like that, but I want her to be dramatic. Stop it. You're just complaining. She's right. And then I think, well, what does that complaining say? Well, it says a lot. It says that I've taken the easy road. It's a lot easy to submit to my flesh and let my flesh have its way rather than dismiss it. I think about this psalm, for example. I think, what if in my moment of complaining, I had written this psalm? Oh boy. God never listens to me, never meets my needs, leaves me shamed and ashamed, feeling reprimanded and abandoned, left to wallow in my self-pity, ever eager to eat a meager meal of ashes and tears, alone, forever. Praise God. It'd be pathetic. And... Yours would probably be too. But have you ever considered, have I ever considered, that my complaining, that your complaining, is an insult to the providence of God? This is why in verse 18, 
it can feel like an unexpected turn in this psalm. Though the psalmist's prayer to his heavenly Father is brutally honest, he will not wallow in self-pity. He's not going to sit on the sidelines as a grumbler and a complainer. He knows that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He understands that light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And it is our perspective of this truth that will make a complainer a proclaimer. Not of our troubles, but of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we understand that God indeed loves us as His child. When we understand that God has sent His only Son to die for our sin. When we understand that God has given us everything that we have. It changes our perspective. Like a, like a good ancestor, you see, the psalmist, he wants the generations to come. He wants this to be remembered. He who reigns from heaven redeems a people to praise Him forever. You know, that, that's what God's doing, right? We've, we've got that. That's kind of like Christianity 101. God is redeeming a people to praise Him forever. Welcome to Christianity. That's what God is doing. And He who made heaven and earth after the fall, He didn't walk away and He didn't leave you to yourself. But He looked down in mercy. For God so loved the world. He hears the groans of our depravity. And He does not leave us as prisoners to sin. But instead, He gave His only Son. And though the wages of our works doomed us to die, whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish but have everlasting life. We were not saved by God's mercy and grace to be grumblers and complainers, but to be proclaimers of His excellency. Declaring in Zion the name of the Lord and Jerusalem His praise, not alone, but together. Yep, we do it. We do it together. We assemble together. We have the privilege of doing this together. And this is one of the beautiful things that we enjoy. Together. It sets life's troubles in perspective. Not hiding our hardships, but elevating the glory of God and His gospel above everything else. And when trouble comes, we don't hide in our homes from the people of God. No, every Lord's Day, we come together as a redeemed people, a kingdom of priests to worship the Lord, knowing that though heaven and earth may pass away, never will the praises of His people. In this moment, it is easy to think of our troubles as enduring. And if you are in the moment, right now, in the day of trouble, I know, and your brothers and sisters know, 
that it can feel as if this day will never end. But they will pass away, just like the world as we know it. The Lord laid the foundation of the earth long ago, but the psalmist says, but it'll perish. He formed heavens by hand, but the psalmist says, they're going to wear out like a robe, like a garment. But he who made heaven and earth is ageless. He never grows old. He never wears out. And he will never perish. And neither will all who put their trust in him. And this is why we do not think of our troubles as unending. Or seek to find solutions in the things that will perish. We must look to the Lord in our time of need. For ourselves and for one another. For though our afflictions are momentary in Christ, we look together toward the eternal glory. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, I confess to you that this sermon is inadequate to deal with such a heavy topic. And that a psalm of such gravity, we've just scratched the surface. And yet... By your Holy Spirit, you speak through your word and especially the preaching of your word. And so we ask today that you would speak to us and that we would look to Christ in our troubles, that we would rely upon his provision and his presence in every trial and every tribulation, that we would be by your enabling and by your empowering to be a people who are faithful to you. Oh God, have mercy. Oh, God bless your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.